0: 29th, 2021. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and uh, tonight we present Magical Astrology with Michael Beeson. We will establish the differences between modern and traditional astrology, how to do electional astrology, and its sources, Picatrix and the Keys of Solomon, and how to use the lunar mansions and the planetary hours. And this will be introductory, and we will point you to the sources and the resources to learn the art. So tune in, and let's get started. Let me find out. Do we have our guests on? Hello. Uh, Michael, I think most people, and especially most people that get into magic, they're used to modern tropical natal astrology. And... What they don't understand is is that, for one thing, they base all of their opinion on the natal concept, and they don't know anything about Ptolemy, and they don't understand. They're mostly influenced by the theosophical movement around the turn of the last century.
1: Okay, so let me go ahead and try to do a rundown. When it comes to traditional and modern astrology, a lot of the focus on traditional is understanding the container that we live in and how everything is impacting that. You also have it's a reflection of the larger picture, so it is still a microcosm, but it's a microcosm within the macrocosm. So we have a role in the macrocosm, and we have a role in the microcosm, and that's very much what we're trying to find out with traditional astrology. With modern astrology, you're trying to kind of understand who you are and how you can move forward with those things, the character analysis and that kind of stuff so by becoming aware of what's going on around us, we can start to do elections taking advantage of what's happening so if if you follow uh, one theory, it's rays and basically things like talismans or batteries where they get charged the uh, another view is spirits where different spirits are in charge at different times. now both of those are completely valid, and there's more than that, but those are the two I'm used to, and uh, when it comes to elections, we can elect anything. We can elect marriages. We can elect the founding of cities. We can elect gardens, but as far as magicians, what we're most concerned with is really trying to get the bang for our buck in our rituals and in making these talismans that can serve us for different purposes.
0: And electional astrology is simply... When do we do an astrological operation? When? And electrical astrology can be done on a on a natal basis, and it's usually for a city or you know for a. Uh, you know, I used the Titanic as an example one time with you, you know. I said, let's do a, a horoscope on the Titanic, and if we could do that, then we can find out when to sink it if we wanted to. <laughs> if we wanted to. Yeah, you know, I remember that conversation. Ma- to, to, yeah, to manipulate the iceberg. Anyway, electional astrology is the astrology of when is something going to happen to you or to the city or to the boat or to to whatever. And so, consequently, it can be used... Magically and I'm gonna read an example from Walker's book on Campanella and that, but that I think is the most famous or most well known example of electional astrology is Campanella and Pope Urban attempting to counter the Spanish electional attack against Pope Urban. Perhaps that's the best way to introduce this whole thing is to is to get into that particular operation and how it came about and whatever. So uh, I think I'll just read it from Walker's book. By the way, one of the best books to understand the, the philosophy behind electional astrology is a book called Spiritual and Demonic Magic from Pacino to Campanella,
1: and it's by...
0: Uh, Professor D.P. Walker. And now I want to make sure that you understand, uh, Walker is a Warburg scholar. The same crowd or group as Francis Yates. And he's a Warburg scholar, and he's not just doing like some of these people do and just mining Mining Thorndike, you know, a lot of people write books like this, and they just what they do is they just go through Thorndike. And I've been, by the way, I've I've taken this subject and gone through Thorndike, and Thorndike doesn't have that much on it, Uh, but Walker certainly does. And I and, and we, I strongly I strongly recommend this book. And by the way, Chris Warnock recommends. To, to get you into the mindset, he recommends a book called The Elizabethan World Picture. This is a book by a British professor, not a professor of, of uh, hermetics. He he's an expert on Shakespeare, and he has this book called The Elizabethan World Picture, which is is a marvelous little book. Anyway, get back to Walker, Campanella's magic and Urban the i I'll read. In 1599, Campanella was put in prison at Naples after the failure of his Calabrian Revolt, which was to have established his utopian and highly unorthodox city of the sun. In 1603, after abominable tortures, he was condemned to perpetual imprisonment as a heretic. He had escaped being put to death by simulating madness. He remained in Naples writing copiously until sixteen twenty six, when he was released by the Spaniards, but after a few months he was rearrested and put in prison at Rome. Campanella's eschological hopes were by now largely centered on the Pope, and as they had they once had been on the King of Spain, and later were to be on the King of France. If he could convince the Pope of the sun's slow approach and the events this pretended, then missionaries trained by Campanella could go forth to Rome and convert the whole world to a reformed natural Catholicism, which would introduce the millennium, the universal city of the sun. The Pope's favor was also now his main hope of personal freedom. Now let me explain something about the city of the sun. Campanella, and and Bruno, and a number and and, and 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 a number of Neoplatonists. In fact, in fact, it, this this whole sun worship thing is kind of a Neoplatonic thing, and they were just on the verge of Copernican, uh, you know, of, of chucking the Earth-centered thing. But this was was Earth-centered. This this still was the sphere of Sarabosco. Anyway, Campanella was convinced that the Earth was moving closer to the sun, or the sun was moving closer to the Earth. And he thought that this would bring on some sort of a millennium. Actually, he wrote this book, The City of the Sun, in which we'd all be glorified when we merged with the sun, or at least, uh, at least uh, I guess 144,000 elect would be glad, <laughs> whatever. But this was a kind of a, a proto-millenarian cult. When I say millenarian, I mean you know this is one of these doomsday cults, in a sense. And he started this, and of course this was a a rank heresy as far as, the, as far as the Catholics were concerned, so they put him in prison. Now back to the text. Now Pope Urban VIII was a firm believer in astrology, although, although Sixtus V Bull of 1586 had condemned judicial astrology. That was an earlier pope, and he'd condemned a judicial astrology. And judicial astrology is electional astrology. And although he himself was to publish a bull, Inscrutabilis, against it in 1631, he had horoscopes cast of the cardinals resident in Rome and was in the habit of openly predicting the dates of their deaths. Now, this is electional astrology using a black magic tag. And he was, in other words, he was tagging these cardinals by saying, well, I've got your horoscope and, and... and I know you're gonna you're gonna die on such and such a date. And uh usually hooked to some event like an eclipse or something like that. So he was so he himself, the Pope, Pope Urban, was doing this. He was using electron astrology and he was tagging these people. And I think we all know that that's the way black magic that that's really the way black magic works. The tag is almost essential. If you do a black magic operation against somebody, then you, you wanna let him know you've done it. You send him a dead chicken, or you know, or something. Well, something or other. You bet that you always tag him. So, uh, Urban was using electional astrology, but he was also tagging. And um, from 1626 onwards, astrologers began to his own eminent death. You know course, they were <laughs> the Spanish were coming back at him with the same with the same thing. And by 1628, rumors of it became loud and whispered and widespread, excuse me. Now, there seems little doubt that these rumors and predictions were actively encouraged by the Spanish, who also made noisy preparations for it for the next conclave. Annoyed at his persistently pro-French policy, they hoped to frighten the Pope to death. And, except for Campanella's magic, they might have succeeded. And now... Seriously worried, Urban VIII was by these predictions. Can be seen from his bull against astrology. So he he published a bull. He published a bull, basically saying it's sinful to uh, to predict predict somebody's uh, death with astrology. And of course, he'd been doing that all himself. Though this confirms in general terms the condemnations of the fifth bull, the only practice it specifically condemns are predictions of the deaths of princes and especially of popes, including members of their family, up to the third degree of consanguinity inclusive. These are to be considered as crimes punishable by death and confiscation of goods. The two dangerous years, in other words, I can do it, but you can't. The two dangerous years were 1628, when there was an eclipse of the moon in January and of the sun in December, and 1630 with a solar eclipse in June. diplomatic reports from Rome of 1628, there are several mentions of the Pope and Campanella being frequently closeted together. They are said to be engaged in some astrological activity concerned with the predictions of the Pope's death. To be doing necromancy, and in one document, to be celebrating nocturnal rites with lighted candles, what were they doing? Amobio and after him Blanchett have, in my opinion, rightly conjectured was to take the proper measures against the disease-bearing eclipses, and the evil influences of Mars and Saturn. First, they sealed the room. This is the Pope and and, and Campanella. They sealed the room against the the outside air, sprinkled it with rose vinegar and other aromatic substances, and burnt laurel, myrtle, rosemary, and cypress. They hung the room with white silken oak cloths and decorated it with branches, Then two candles and five torches were lit, representing the seven planets. And since the heavens owing to the eclipse were defective, these were to provide an undefective substitute, as one lights a lamp when the sun sets. The signs of the zodiac were perhaps also represented in the same way for this is a philosophical procedure, not a, not a superstitious one, as common people think. Oh, of course, that's, a, that's subject to disagreement. The other persons present had horoscopes immune to evil eclipses. There was jovial and venereal music, that's in, in Jupiteranian and Venusian, which was to disperse the pernicious qualities of the eclipse infected air, and by symbolizing good planets to expel the influences of the bad ones. For the same purpose, they used stones, plants, colors, and odors belonging to good planets, such as Jupiter and Venus. They drank astrologically distilled liquors. That's alchemy. These goings-on are described in a chapter on eclipses in Campanella's book, De Pato... Sadi Raleigh Vitando, which appeared as the seventh book of his astrologica, published in Leon in sixteen twenty nine. It has separate pagination and is preceded by a publisher's note saying it came into his hands after the first six books had already been printed, according to Campanella. And there is no reason to doubt it. He did not mean to publish this treatise. <laughs> of course he didn't. It was sent to the printer by two highly placed Dominicans. And by the way, the Dominicans ran the Inquisition. A lot of people don't know that. You know, a lot of people think that the the, the Inquisition was a Jesuit thing. No, it wasn't. It was Dominican. And then they wished to prevent Campanella gaining the post of conciliator in the Holy Office. That's the Inquisition this post would have entitled him to exercise considerable control over the censorship of theological publications. And this act of malice was successful, for Urban was general, was extremely angry at the publication of Campanella, and, never, and he never obtained the post, though he managed quite soon to regain the pope's favor and to have an official examination of the treatise. Which cleared it of heresy and superstition, obviously, you know, because the Pope was involved in it, so they had to they had they had to exonerate the pope, and no wonder he was mad about it being exposed. Campanella was, was freed from his imprisonment in april sixteen twenty nine by the next year he had obtained the Pope's permission to found a college in Rome for the training of missionaries in accordance with the principles set forth in, in his cult and that is to say missionaries who would convert the whole world to Campanella's kind of Catholicism, you know, the City of the Sun. These incidents confirm and the conjecture that Campanella and the Pope did actually practice the magic together, and it seems also highly probable that Campanella made it up, especially for his purpose and occasion, that he had not evolved this magic before he came to Rome in 1626 is indicated by the fact that it is not mentioned in the first two versions of Gita del Sole in 1602 and 1612, published in 1623. Whereas the final version, published in 1637, there is a description of the Solarians practicing it, followed by a discussion of the bulls against astrology. Not is it mentioned in his Tessensu Rerun et Magica, where one might expect to find it, nor in any other works earlier than the astro- Astrologia. I think we stopped there because we pretty well described the um you know, the operation of what they did. And uh can you hear me, Michael?
1: I sure can. And I, I agree. Yeah. I mean you've you've done a really good job of describing of reading through and describing what happened and the timing would have definitely there there was that the black magic kind of set you up, attempt to curse you and also tag this big important date that really feeds into it. But then you also had to have the defensive times work out when performing the rituals that would help protect. So those are two sides of the same coin there.
0: Yeah. Now, let me make a couple more comments on Campanella on, on that operation. Now, he used lanterns, and he later on in his comments, in his comments on that operation, he said, he wasn't that concerned with the Kabbalah, with the with the magic of numbers. The, the Kabbalistic aspects of it didn't concern him that much. He was more into the use of the rays. And, of course, today we would use the Golden Dawn, a Minutum Mundum color scale. I'm not sure he did. But the whole idea of these lights, rays, herbs, plants, stones, everything, all these correspondences, this derives primarily from Picatrix. Picatrix is tremendously influential uh, in, in the whole process of electional astrology, although especially in the in the operations, in the operations like this one that uh, Campanella and Urban did. Before we get into Picatrix, I'd like to mention that this all comes from, as, as Walker says, spiritual magic and demonic magic from Pacino to Campanella. This all starts as far as the Italians and the Europeans are concerned. It doesn't start in Haran with the Sabians. It starts with the, uh, at least as far as we're concerned, it starts with the Italians and it actually starts with Ficino. And Ficino had, had a tremendous influence on Campanella. And Ficino, of course, was very much influenced by Picatrix. And so you want to talk about Picatrix a little bit, Michael?
1: Sure, let's go ahead and do that. And I mean, also we'll be able to kind of jump into Ficino a little bit too there because Ficino kind of was quiet about talismans. He, he touched on them some, but the other thing that he he typically focused more on electing times to do things like always study in the ninth hour of the day, and then to fight melancholy, make sure that you're active during this time of the day, and that you do these kinds of activities at this time. And part of that's because you don't want to risk falling to idol worship if you're a Catholic priest. So, and Pacino was a Catholic priest. He did kind of mess with talismans some, but Albertus Magnus declared talismans were awful, and... They should be avoided, and partly he did that because the lunar mansion talismans he made, and this is my understanding, so I might be a little bit wrong on this, but the lunar mansion talismans he made um, didn't work the way he wanted them to. So that really damaged the use of talismans in Christianity, despite the fact they were using saint's medals and stuff. But where did they get all this information from? I mean, that's, that's where the Picatrix comes to play. Because with the Picatrix, and I know that you discussed this in a previous episode, but it was an encyclopedia where they had gathered all the information they could, like everything they could. And that's why the pictures has so many contradictory things in it. It has different rules for making talismans. It has multiple different ways to perform invocations. If you're going to do magical invocations to certain planetary deities. And it's kind of like Agrippa. You know how Agrippa can be internally not, uh, at, with Agrippa he tried to make it, all meshed together in a single worldview, but you still have a little bit of those contradictions. The Picatrix, they didn't even try. It's just this this massive collection that's vaguely ordered. So Ficino took all of that because he was translating all of the, the platonic writings, and the Neoplatonists did work a lot with those things, and they do work in a platonic worldview. Uh, although you can probably go back to things like the PGM for part of it as well, because some of the pieces of the Picatrix appear in there, and some of the elections of the way that you do invocations appear in there as well. But they would have gotten it through the Latin. Uh, They would have gotten it through the Picatrix that that came in through the Latin, I think. But that's definitely where all of this stuff comes from, and it's really powerful. So, I mean, the Picatrix will tell you that to make a talisman, you want to have the moon on the Midhaven, to make a lunar mansion telescope. you want the moon in its mansion on the midhaven, whenever it's not being afflicted by any planet, but especially not by Saturn or Mars. So that, and that, that plays in the Picatrix. And that's the kind of thing that you'd look for when electing anything. I mean, if, if you're going to elect an invocation, that's the way. Now, some people will elect on the ascendant and that also mentioned the Picatrix, but they have the conflicting things. The ascendant is, where the horizon is whenever the time is, whenever the time is. So like if it's your natal, your natal ascendant is the horizon at the time you were born. So with these kinds of elections, the ascendant is the horizon when you're electing. So uh, a lot of people will put the moon there or on the mid haven, which is the straight up in the sky point. So does all that make sense? And did that kind of cover the tricks and some of the pieces that we get from it?
0: Well, uh, yeah, that, that's a pretty good uh, rundown on it. However, I think for people for people that are listening to this show for the first time, let's cl- clarify a few things. Most of the electional astrology type, uh, t- type magic in the Picatrix comes not from the Arabs, not from the school of wisdom in Baghdad, although some of it does, but it comes from the ancient city of Haran, up at the headwaters of the of the uh, Tigris and uh, Euphrates River, Happy it is presently in modern day Turkey. Haran was is called the city of the Moon God, and Haran, all the way up into uh, the Middle Ages maintained the astrology, the astrological lore, and the magic and the astrological lore of Babylon. Uh, and I got that Sumeria, Syria, Cadia and all and all that all all of that accumulated astrology that eventually uh got into into Ptolemaic astrology. The Iranians who uh, ended up calling themselves the the North Sabeans, they adopted that because uh the Sabaeans, that's the Queen of Sheba's uh Yemen and Ethiopian uh uh, star worshippers back in Solomon's time, the Hyrkanians basically—they—they uh, they were forced to—they uh, were—they were forced to declare themselves, also declare themselves Semites, and they had a lot of very—you know—they—they they had a lot of similarity to the to the Yemenis and the Ethiopians, but they were essentially star worshippers, astrological astrological magicians. And uh so they were the North Sabaeans and they developed this worship of the planets. They had their own version their own version of, of the Orphic hymns. We we actually we actually use the Orphic Hymns for planetary rituals uh in their ancient Greek, And more so than we do the the, the ones from Picatrix, although i we've used both. I mean we we use both the, uh, the Iranian invocations and also the planetary prayers, but they developed this astrological planetary religion in Haran. They had temples to all the different planets. They had a temple to the moon. They had a temple to uh, Jupiter, Mars, and and uh, and these temples, the foundations of these temples are still there. I think that the moon temple is still there. I don't know whether they flooded the, the Harran basin yet or not, but they keep saying, you know, the.
1: It's not anyway, safe to go there.
0: Do you know whether they flooded it or not?
1: No, but it's it's not safe to go there because um, certain certain terrorist organizations are operating close to it.
0: Oh yeah, that whole area is is, is unsafe. You know, Karim offered to take me up to to Afaka, You know, if I came over to Lebanon, and I told him, I said, "Thanks, but we'd have to hire we'd have to hire armed guards to go up there." You know. So I had to turn him down. Yeah, and it's the same thing with Iran. But they keep they keep threatening to flood it because uh, to make us you know to to flood the whole, which is a shame because it's an archaeological treasure. Uh, anyway, that's where the uh, the planetary magic gets gets started. And the Picatrix is, is an, an Arab. It's not uh, it's not just a Sabean book. Although the Sabean magic is a large you know a large effective part of it. The, the, the reason why I keep Mentioning the, mentioning the Arab aspect is that we've got the primary Sabaean magus, it Ibn Qara, and the primary Muslim, uh, Orthodox Muslim magus, Al-Kindi, both teaching at the School of Wisdom in Baghdad at the same time. Somebody ought to write a novel, a historical novel, you know, speculating on these two guys' Did they work together, or, or were they, you know, uh, in opposition to each other? It, but we've got Thevet Ivan who is the the author of Imaginibus, which is a wood, which is a wonderful book on electional astrology. It's one of the key, you know, the key books. In fact, Chris Warnock actually published Thevet Ivan Karra's Imaginibus, and so you can get it. So this al he's the he's the author of the stellar rays theory. Which, which influenced Ficino. And you remember you got me, you got me a good uh, translation of Ilkendi's, uh and we did a show on it, on Elkindi's yep. uh, Stellar Rays. Yeah. I wish somebody would publish that in book form, you know, because that's one we should recommend. Now, according to our outline, we've gotten down to uh, where we ought to discuss the, uh, the greater and the lesser keys of Solomon, I suppose, at this point. So you want to you want to launch into the
1: Oh into I can that? I can I can hop into that. Sam. So um with the greater key of Solomon you have That's where you have all the pentacles, isn't it? Like all the the various the various pentacles, the solomonic pentacles like the first, second, third, fourth pentacle of each planet. Am I correct in that well, one? Cuz I'm I'm pretty yeah, sure you're right, the Yeah, you're seas,
0: right. on the greater on the on the greater key. As far as I'm concerned, the greater key of Solomon uh, at least the Mathers version is the one we use for for planetary talismans because uh, at the, there, there's a, there's a, there's any number of different versions of the Greater Key of Solomon, but the one that we're most familiar with is the Mathers is the Mathers version. And one good thing about Mathers is he he uh, he did some rectifications on those talismans, and he's got all the the verses for the uh, for the psalms that apply to the talismans. Uh, Mather's incorporated them into the talismans, and he's got reproductions of them. And the reproductions are just the right size to fit under a standard crystal ball. And so, uh, I don't think he was thinking about that when he when he did them. But, but those those talismans that are in there are just about just the right size to fit under a standard crystal ball. And what they have is a kind of a a spirit wheel design. Uh, most of them have have this, uh, this spirit wheel design, and you put the various correspondences on the on the end on the end of the on the end of the spokes of the spirit wheel. All the various correspondences that you want to link together on the talisman, including geomatic figures and elemental figures and zodiacal figures and whatever. So, so uh, what we do uh, is is on the other side of the uh, uh, of the spirit wheel, we put the kamea of the planet. Now that means that uh, we're going to have to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to, or, or 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 I'll let you, Michael, uh, digress a little bit and explain about planetary kameas. That's a whole. That's a whole different system. Yeah, you want to talk about yeah, that a little you, bit?
1: I'll, I'll touch on it, but Pokey, you, you know the magic squares better than I do. So the kameas are magic squares that have. A set of numbers that are associated with the planets themselves. So uh, you end up with this block of numbers or a block of of letters if you translate them um into the Hebrew or Phoenician. And that is that's it has something to do with the um with the years of the planet, but it's it's really kind of mysterious in in where they come from as far as I know. But Poke, I, I bet you know a bit more about those than I do.
0: I think they come, as far as I know. I think they were, they emanated from the school of wisdom in in Baghdad, and I think they I think they they come uh, from something called the Book of Power. I don't know exactly. I'd have to ask Nineveh Shadrach. Nineveh may publish a, a, a version of the Book of Power. I hope he does. But anyway, uh, uh, the Book of Power is first mentioned, uh, as far as we know, by Idris Shaw in in one of his. Uh, uh, in one of his uh, books on magic. I I think it's it's a secret lore of magic by by Hedra Henderson that that's where the kameas that's the first uh mention I know of so the kameas are kind of like sudoku they're they're sort of they're, they're like magic, they're they're magic squares and uh, they're very effective and we even have them for the outer planets uh
1: well we, we haven't yet talked about how you how do you time it whenever you're um when you're using those to, to make talismans or to call the appropriate spirits into the crystals, what what timing do you use in a standard oh, way yeah. in the okay And then and then I'll jump in and we'll see what we can do to supercharge it.
0: Well, well, that yeah, I yeah, was glad you glad you mentioned that because one of the most important things that about this whole business, this whole thing, is the mansions of the moon and. And Picatrix, over and over and over again, Picatrix, whoever whoever Picatrix is, you know, probably somebody somebody from the School of Wisdom, but uh, Picatrix says you must, everything goes through the moon. And, of course, the Tree of Life, uh, the Tree of Life, the Kabbalah, you know, we can see that. Everything goes through the moon. And, of course, we know that all the Goetic spirits are all in your sod, and, and and that's that's the lunar sphere, and so the mansions of the moon are vitally important in this. And one thing that Chris Warnock has done for us is he's he's come up with a with a beautiful book on the mansions of the moon, and beautifully illustrated by uh, by his illustrator Nigel with, with these yeah. uh, with these very very good some kind, of, kind of talismanic type of illustrations. What Pickatrick says about observing the mansions of the moon. This carries over into the Goetia, the Goetia of the Lamegaton, which is the lesser key of Solomon. And they have a series of, of lunar mansions. And the, Goetia, the the Goetia says you should never summon a Goetic spirit when you have an unfavorable lunar mansion. And so that's the first thing you do the first, when you plan an operation. And you're going to make a talisman. You're going to plan an operation. You're going to, you're going to get down... Get down in the temple and put that talisman under the crystal ball and charge it up and summon the the angels and all that. But the first thing you do is check the mansion of the moon. And you you don't operate celestial magic, uh, especially electional type celestial magic, uh, on, a, on an unfavorable mansion. I think that that covers that. Um, so
1: you're prim- primarily using the the lunar mansion. Do you use the planetary at all? What? Mind. The planetary hours?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's the, the second consideration. The planetary hours, they, that was established way, way back. I, I, I don't remember. As, does the Picatrix deal with planetary hours at all?
1: It does. It touches on them. Um, that, that's actually one of the the kind of talismans. The first talisman that you make when you're studying under Chris is a planetary yeah. magic talisman. And a lot of people will take the pentacles and only make them using the planetary hours. They don't take anything else into consideration. So I think that that you're definitely wise. And, I mean, I say you, but I'm a member of the OTA too. Um, <laughs> but you're the founder. Um, I think that, that we're wise to do it that way where we take both into consideration. Then the other thing that you can do that you don't have to do is start looking at planetary conditions and seeing if the planet is in any major aspect, so any of the classical aspects. And that would be the square, set style, opposition, and trine. Make sure that the planet that you're trying to make the talisman of doesn't have a malefic, so Saturn or Mars, making any aspect with it. And sometimes that's hard, sometimes it's easy. You also want to look up classical dignities, so classical rulership, So like, for example, Mars rules both Aries and Scorpio in the classic worldview. So when Mars is in Aries or Scorpio, it's strong in those places. And that's just super basic in its dignity. And if you can match that, that's great. And then if you want to move it up one more, you make sure that it's on the midhaven or the ascendant, whenever that happens too. And the moon is a configuration with it. But you can get really, really OCD with this stuff, and it makes it so that you only have like one election every 150 years, and we don't ever want to get to that point.
0: <laughs> you have here in the outline, you have the importance of MC and IC.
1: Yeah, it should have been I, – I I shouldn't have said IC on there. It should have just been MC and AS, which would be Ascendant and Midhaven. The the MC is the Midhaven. The IC is the, IC is the opposite of the Midhaven. There there are things that you can time with that, but that's, like, super, super advanced, Um, and it's very, very specific, and you'd want to do things with that that you're trying to keep secret. Also, there are some astrology schools where the fourth house, which is defined by the IC in all the quadrant-based house systems, is the end of the matter. But, again, I always do the the ascendant and the midhaven when I'm looking at stuff.
0: Well, I one of the one of the things if you're going if you're going to do this uh, sort of thing, having a good astrological yearly calendar is very 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 good, uh, you know. Yeah, because you you can automatically plan up, especially planning operations ahead. You can see what the major aspects will be. One of the things I'd like to point out is that when you start using the astrological calendar and you want to plan your operations, you're going to run into a situation called moon void, of course. Now, astrologers they will tell you not to do anything when the moon is out of is void, of course. Now, this should not affect magical operations. You just use the the lunar aspect where it was before it went void, of course.
1: Totally fair. I mean, what I was going to say is that there's there are a couple of different definitions for void, of course. The modern definition is if the moon isn't going to be making aspects with any other planets before it leaves the sign, the classical Greek definition was if the moon is not going to make any aspect with any planet within the next 30 degrees regardless of sign boundaries. So there's there's a bunch of stuff going on there. Um, I don't recall uh void, of course, in, in magical elections, but I might be wrong on that. I'd have to review the pick of tricks again. But I think that you're right. I think that... There's there's no reason to really take that into account while you're electing something.
0: Yeah, the reason why I mentioned it is I've had several occasions where I've wanted to do uh, to do one of these operations, you know, kind of semi-electional. When we're calling a spirit, we we wanted we want to know what the astrological aspects are, and and we're not exactly trying to you know trying to affect a horoscope or whatever. But we're 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 basically we're 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 calling forth the spirit. Uh, I don't know how many times I when I'm setting up an operation I got to deal with this void of course thing, and I finally just I finally just decided that uh, I'm just gonna gonna take the uh, as far as the, the moon's concerned I'm just gonna take the previous the previous aspect before void of course and and use that. So that's been my seat of the pants kind of a formula. Do you think there's a better uh, there might be a better way to uh to, to do it?
1: I mean, the, the the moon is always important, but as far as as far as the magical elections, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay attention to something like void of course. I would pay more attention to okay, if you're doing a a Jupiter operation or if you're trying to do an invocation of an angel associated with Jupiter, making sure that Jupiter is strong. And then if, if you can get the moon to be having an aspect with Jupiter, or at least looking at Jupiter without creating a connecting aspect, I think that you're good with that. I'm, I'm a lot more loose with that stuff because we're still trying to do the magic. And if you put too many constraints on yourself with trying to get the absolute best election and meet all the rules at all the times, you're you're never going to get anywhere with it. So I, I like your approach, and I think that you you should just just go with it. Uh, make sure that the moon is if if you're trying to get an increase of something that's in that lunar mansion, then you want the moon to be gaining light. If you want less of what is in that mansion, you want the moon to be a losing light. So if you have like a mansion that's for a conflict with people, and we don't curse, but um, if you were cursing, then you would want the moon to be gaining light for that one, whereas if you wanted to reduce conflict, you'd want the moon to be losing light whenever it was in that mansion. So, yeah. um, And I would consider that for any operation I'm doing. Like anytime I'm doing um, I'm making a talisman or any time I'm doing any operation, I do look at the lunar mansion, regardless of what else is going on. And even if the moon isn't part of the election, I'll pay attention to the mansion just because they seem to matter that much. And as you pointed out earlier, the tricks does say over and over again, always pay attention to where the moon is. And what mention
0: is? Oh yeah, don't ever ignore the moon. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think we just about covered the subject. So I was going to, you know, use the rest of the hour for for uh, you to discuss your projects. I want to reiterate recommending his, uh, recommending the books he has for sale that we have mentioned tonight, and I will recount them, that because I highly recommend them. His Mansions of the Moon, uh, and this is Renaissance Astrology, by the way. That's his company. And Re- Renaissance of Astrology publishes Mansions of the Moon, and that's one you that's one you virtually have to have if you're going to do this sort of thing. And then also, I think the Imaginibus by Thievit Ibn Khara, that's another one you have to have if you're going to do this sort of thing. And, of course, naturally, you ought to have a copy of the Picatrix in there. And Chris Warnock and, and John Michael Greer, they have translated the European Latin version, and this is the one you need. I know there are the, the, the translations of, of the Arabic version, and that's nice to have, but the one that we really need to work with is, is the one that Chris and and, 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 Michael and John Michael Greer did. That's the Picatrix, uh, the, the European Latin version. That's the one that Agrippa was using, and that's the one that Trithemius and and all of all of our guys that are Elizabethan astrological magicians and that's the one John Dee was using. And that's the one you need is is theirs, and uh, you know be sure you, you you get that one. Is there anything else you can think of in the Chris's uh, armamentarium that we ought to recommend, Michael?
1: Well, um, I will be self-serving and say that if anyone wants to kind of hear Chris and I talk about um, astrology in general and interesting things, like the the video that we released earlier this week, we discuss um, the astrology of when to castrate your farm animals, but also how to elect surgeries. You can Google across the horizon, and in YouTube, Chris and I both post videos for that, so... If you look at Renaissance Astrology or Hacking Fate on YouTube, you'll be able to find those conversations.
0: Okay. Do a little shameless self-promotion, okay?
1: So, so yeah, I'm, I'm also an astrologer. Um, I don't have any books published yet, but what I do is on my YouTube channel, I try to make the older books more accessible for a wider audience. So the across the horizon that I just mentioned that Chris and I are doing, we're going over Ptolemy's Syntiloquium. So it's a hundred aphorisms that are attributed to Ptolemy. They aren't written by Ptolemy, but to find out who they're written by, you'll need to check it out on YouTube. Then I also have a series I'm doing myself, uh, which is on Benati. So who was the astrologer Benati? Why is he important? And then going through his materials. And then I'm throwing up a few things here and there. So if you would like to have a reading on my show, Feel free to reach out to me by emailing michael at hackingfate dot com.
0: Okay, I think that just about wraps it up. And so, uh, until next week in the Hermetic Hour, I uh, wish everybody a, a pleasant week. And, and uh, until then, God us bless and and, ha- and have a good week and
1: uh, and good magic. And, th-
0: and th- yeah, good magic. And thank you, thank you so much, Michael. I'll, I'll
1: get back to you in a little bit, okay.